Welcome back, guys, to the Beyond Condition podcast, where I have, shall we say, a very special legendary guest, Josh, who I've recently been connected with through Matt, my other half. So you two did some education together a few years ago, and today we're going to be talking about injury prevention with training. But of course, you know, the rise of biomechanics and how that world is taking off. I'm sure people sometimes see it and maybe think, I don't know what this is, so I'm just going to not go into it because it almost seems so overwhelming at times. I'm sure you would agree, Josh. Yeah, biomechanics is um, in the last, I'd say, probably what five five years. Mm. Yeah, the level of education has kind of shot up um, like so much, which which is a good thing. Um, I think people it is overwhelming. I definitely understand that, but I think the, the greater awareness of like how exercise influences our body, even on a basic level, is still something that we should consider. I think a lot of people would basically like their previous training was essentially centered around like what other people did. And it's like, that's how we've always done things. And everyone has gone through a training phase where they've, you know, copied the biggest guy in the gym or they've just gone online and they've not really taken their programming or what they've seen as their programming at face value. And they've just kind of run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is also part of it. A part of it I, I do consistently say on my, with my content is a lot of it is trial and error. Like there is a lot that looks really cool um, in theory, like especially when you do all the maths, and then in practice, it just doesn't. It just does not pan out the same way. Yeah, for sure. I definitely find that when I take particularly, you know, new clients that have done training plans from, you know, something on Google, or you know, they've done what they think is best, and then when you get them on a specific plan that's aligned with their goals and them as a genetic individual, it's like wow, I'm suddenly getting, you know, benefits that I never thought possible. And it's like you've done something completely magic and and it's just being bespoke to them and actually taking into consideration them as an individual rather than Google or wherever it is. It's so overpopulated. It's very hard to know where to go. Yeah, definitely. The one thing I I would definitely, I would say uh, the more time I've spent with it, the, the simpler my programming has become. Yes. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you found that yourself, but like, yeah. as much as you say your your knowledge is is like at a level X, you're still like probably one level below when it comes to your programming because a you don't want to obviously overwhelm your clients. If you have clients who are at the same level, then that's absolutely fantastic. But you still want to make sure kind of like it's as effective as it is on paper as it is in practice. Yeah, for sure. I've had this in my own journey as well, and it sounds like you have. I used to literally. I talk about this on the pod all the time. Go for like. 10 different variations of glute exercises and all the different things that seemed, you know, in the spotlight on Instagram and what have you. And when I actually started to build glutes was when I simplified it, stripped it right back and did the, you know, a set amount of exercises and did them properly and just did it consistently, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's, that's always going to be the deciding factor, isn't it? Um, I will have a post on this probably by the time you've, you've um, released this, but one of the biggest things I see when people talk about like, exercise design, and I think this was like forgotten very quickly because it looks good, is like, can you actually overload that like week by week by week by week and actually get like a long concurrent positive outcome from it? And if you can't, then it's like, I don't care how good it looks, just just do something else. Yeah, yeah. And when you first started going into education and training, etc., where did you sort of come from have you had a sporting background as a child or is that something that was new as you no I I I didn't really have the typical like training background I was active as a kid but like uh, I basically trained a lot when I went to university because uh, my degree didn't really interest me that much and it was like it's the same reason every guy goes to the gym it's like you want to feel more confident you want to look better yeah um, I think when I started university I was probably like 57 kilos or something like that mm-hmm. so I was like, like 20 kilos later and like when you're five eight 57 kilos is fucking nothing yeah. um, and like the more time you spend doing it the more and obviously you enjoy it, you just become more um invested in it and then um i'm i've got a very how do i describe this like i do hyper focus on things so it was very easy for me to okay cool i like doing this like how much can i learn about it and how much can I apply it? Um, doesn't mean it's a good thing, but yeah. it did kind of leave that kind of, uh, I don't want to say obsession, but like more of a, what's the word? Oh, fuck yeah, obsession, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's striving for more all the time, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's relevant in the bodybuilding realm, I would say. You know, I've been there as well, Josh, you know, where everything's neurotic, everything has to be exact, you know, and that obsession nature. And then 
can like you say it can be good and bad when you're competing obviously it can be good in regards to a prep but then you've got to try and manage things like stress and you know that can become a stressor because everything has to be perfect and nailed all the time yeah exactly 100 <laughs> percent. it's crazy this realm so at the moment are you you do gym training or what are your sort of goals in specific to your physique at the, at the moment um i would probably say this is the least i've trained like a bodybuilder but yep. ironically the the best i felt it looks within my own physique um and i think that's probably from a lack of emotional attachment to the training and the result the training's meant to uh, get. Um, but I did powerlifting prior to this, and it was the same kind of thing. There was a massive emotional attachment to the exercises that came with it and the outcomes I thought that I was going to get. And yeah. that that was great. And I still look back at like the things I did then, especially the body weight I was at, and I'm like, wow, that was insane. But I also think of like how injured I got from that and that kind of cascading and that's that's fine like i don't think there's anything wrong with the sport just because someone gets injured for it um like one thing we'll probably talk about is like some people are just adapted to certain things and some people are just not and you're not going to find that out until you work at a higher level within that skill um but for me it was a really cool eye-opener of like god this is like absolutely killing me and i've got no idea why and then like we had that kind of massive surgeons of biomechanics education of like you know you shouldn't use barbells for hypertrophy you shouldn't do this shouldn't do this and then that kind of sparks that okay well what is the alternative what is the the thing that i quote unquote should be doing and then you kind of go full circle you go back actually barbells aren't actually that bad because if you look on social media i'd say 99.9 percent of competitive bodybuilders now are still doing rdls and deadlifts off the floor and they're pretty damn strong they've got pretty good glutes pretty good backs as a result but it's more like, is this adaptable for this person? And is this going to be something I can consistently load throughout, not even like a training phase, but like my actual career as a, as a bodybuilder, powerlifter, or whatever your sport is? Yeah, for sure. Something that I've touched on before is that, you know, making the programming appropriate to the competitor. And when you make that exercise selection, you know, there's things that I would prioritize in say a prep you know it might be that we start to bring stuff out like a a deadlift that's going to be very cns taxing and exchange that for something that's potentially going to be you know a bit safer a bit more easier to load certain muscles and keep the competitor a little bit safer in regards to what the injury risk could be as well you know there's certain things that we consider as someone goes deeper into a deficit and then as we come out of that you can start to reprogram but there's so much to consider and i think what you touched on there about the emotional connection to certain exercises is very important because I've been there myself. You know, we think that a certain exercise is going to be good and then you become married to that exercise and you love it. And it's like, I can't imagine life without it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like as, as much as I love deadlifting, I know the more I just load it up, it just fucks me up. It just me doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't compute. <laughs> yeah. And this is some, probably deadlifts is the main one that, you know, like you said, right at the start, you see what the big guy in the gym's doing and you think, well, I need to do that to get results. But, you know, I've done it myself. I've worked with clients and I've come away from certain exercises and still got, you know, probably better results. And it's in a, a safer environment in inverted commas, you know, I'm not saying that deadlifts aren't safe, but the CNS taxing alone is incredible compared to, you know, other exercises you could choose. Yeah. It's a lot to, uh, it's a lot to consider when you're programming something like that, even, even as a bodybuilder. Yeah. 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 So when we talk about avoiding injury as a bodybuilder, it's quite a broad subject, but is there certain things that you would say are more prominent than others when you would look to program for a bodybuilder to look down this route? It's it's a weird one because obviously, like I said, it there are there's so many factors going into injury. You can't there's this big really, this really big misconception that you can predict or prevent injury, and yeah. sometimes they just they just happen. Um, Bodybuilding is an interesting sport because, like, respectively, you're you're quite safe. You're mostly doing sagittal plane movements. You're in fixed positions. You're using machines, and like people, you know, you, you do see like, like those horrible in, uh, Instagram videos. People do get injured on machines, and usually it's people who use too much weight and not enough control. I would say that if you are competitive, you're probably not doing that. You have a good idea of what you can actually load up, and if the more competitive you are, I imagine you probably don't have as that much of emotional attachment to the load you're lifting because you know you're just using that to create a certain outcome with your physique. Yes. With regard to avoiding it, um, I'm a little bit biased. Like bodybuilders, I think there's, because we've gravitated toward these like optimal movements, all these machine movements, there's 
a lack of like being able to tolerate uh, like normal positions. I hate the word functional. Um, it's just, it's overused, but like, I don't see many bodybuilders do like split squats, for examples. And yeah. then you get conversations where it's like, yeah, but they just kind of fuck me up. And I'm like, well, do they fuck you up because they're not right for you? Or is it because you've kind of deemed the machines as the optimal thing and now you're just really untrained from those positions? Yes. And bodybuilders, they tend to have very similar like postures and positions uh, based on the muscles that they, they're, they're growing. Um, so you tend to see certain patterns like compression around the lower back, not a load of hip mobility. And for some people that is true, so some people aren't. Like you see some bodybuilders who are just fucking freaks. They're flexible as hell, and it's yeah. incredibly unfair. Um, <laughs> and so it is. It is kind of this thing you have to juggle. I do think genetics are a big part of that. In the same way, you have like long muscle insertions, sorry, long muscle insertions, short muscle insertions. You've got people who can just tolerate positions loading and who are potentially more mobile. And yep. they don't ever train out of those positions. So they always keep them as they start to build muscle. Whereas you get other people who kind of go, oh, I need to train in my active range of motion. Their active range of motion is piss. So yep. they're overloading yep. a range of motion that isn't large in the first place. And yep. they're wondering why the second they go out of that, even with moderate weights, they're like, God, I can't do this. This hurts. Yep. And it's yep. like, well, you need to work on that, that like foundation, whatever you want to call it first, and then start to load up. Mm -hmm. problem with that is obviously bodybuilders you're usually on a timeline you have a certain amount of years within your career if you've got very big goals you know you there's, there's a, only a certain amount of years you can compete and prep muscle building takes a hell of a long time um especially at the standard that bodybuilding is at now even with assisted athletes so you're kind of like well if i know this builds muscle i'm probably going to do what i'm going to take whatever quote-unquote shortcuts i can and then i'll deal with the mobility restrictions later down the line if i have to yeah, yeah, it's definitely a mindset. You know, I meet bodybuilders that are older and have been doing it for a while. And when they're on stage and doing the routine and everything, yeah, they look fine. And then, you know, at home and normal general life, it's like, the like you say, the mobility and just getting up and down off the sofa and things is a struggle. But you wouldn't know that when you see them up on stage. and, no, no and... <laughs> But it is something that I, I do yoga most days. You know, I really prioritize. I speak to clients about doing this type of thing just to keep the flexibility. And, you know, I remember when I first sort of started telling people I do yoga, they're like, what you're a bodybuilder and you do yoga and it's like well you're trying to do what you can to stay mobile yeah also like i mean that if, if uh, i had to give any bodybuilder incentive is your you have to present yourself on stage you have to contort your body into certain positions if you don't have the ability to you know rotate your thoracic spine or get your hip into certain positions and that's limiting your ability to, to show that physique then you should be working on that and some people can get around that and some people can't yeah, yeah. And it's in a bodybuilding prep in particular. Yes, we've got a lot of boxes to tick, as we say. Um, yes. And, you know, I would say it gets harder sometimes to prioritize yoga and things like that. But I always think, like you say, when I'm on stage, you know, I want to be able to hold my own. I want to be able to pose in the right way and effectively as possible. And I can't do that if I neglect the self-care elements of it. But of course, you get fatigue as well. And you think, Oh God, you know, there's some days I'm looking at the yoga mat thinking, do I really need to do that in a prep? But it's, you've got to think of the longevity. Although unfortunately, like you say, it's like, well, I'll deal with that later. But then you're left, you know, 40, 45 years old and you can hardly move. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, um, it is, it is a balancing act. And it's the same way with um, when body was like anabolic steroids. Like they know exactly what's going to happen in, in the future, yeah. but they know it's, well, I have this, window of time where i'm going to be able to perform at x capacity achieve x goal mm -hmm. so you just kind of bite the bullet and issue is that some people some people can do that and walk away without any issues and then you get some people who like ronnie coleman's the example that everyone uses at the moment like you know he was an absolutely insane uh looked looks incredible insanely strong and now he's i don't know what his current situation is but i know he's probably still in a wheelchair or has lost a lot of muscle i don't know what the actual injury he had was but i remember he had quite a few surgeries and it's like, was that because of the drugs? Was that because of the, the amount of weights he was doing? Like, You can't say, oh, you're training like this. And that means in X amount of time, you're going to have a fucked up back. Like, there are people who train with shit technique and they're absolutely fine. Um, it's just the fact that some people are just, they can just tolerate it. And also they've they've trained like that their entire life. Um, there's, a, there's a PT I know from London who like, he had like a 330 deadlift for reps. 
and like fully hunched back, like insane physique and obviously assisted. And you can look at him and go, well, that's the position that he can load that movement and get the weight off the floor. If I try to go to him, okay, cool. We're going to like, you know, really strain out your spine, like shoot your hips right back to the wall. And I gave him not even 330 kilos. He probably would injure himself because it's a position he's just never loaded before. So yeah. the body will adapt to what it's given. Um, that doesn't mean you're going to get a positive result out of it that helps you within your shows. But it's just the fact you have to understand that you you need to learn what things invoke a positive outcome with your training and what things don't um, and not be too hung up on what other people are doing and what results they're getting from that. And yeah. with social media and bodybuilding, it's, it's really hard to it's really hard to not do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You just end up, you know, scrolling through and, and what have you. And you think, oh, well, that would be a good idea for me. And the similar sort of tone, you know, when I work with new people and they're sort of chasing this doms type effect or training should really hurt or in the bodybuilding realm, going to war, which Matt and I joke about all the time. It's like you're not going yeah. to war, you're going to the gym and then having a hot shower. Um, <laughs> but it's this sort of chasing like you want pain from training you've got to be in pain and, and this type of thing and you know as you know yourself with your training and working with clients when you're an experienced weightlifter you don't necessarily get doms per se you can feel no you can feel you've done a workout you get some cns fatigue etc but don't need to be chasing doms for it to be an effective workout and like you touched on earlier i I make pretty simple programs with effective exercises and selection for, you know, individuals. And I don't want to piss around with, you know, all the accessory moves and everything. It just needs to be effective. And that as well goes across, you know, mesocycles, macro cycles, not flitting from one exercise to the next because we're not magpies, you know, this shiny object. Oh, what's the new block going to have? Well, very similar exercises because they're working. Yeah, that's a that's a big um, like pet peeve of mine is the the changing program very very frequently. And like I, I train in two gyms that have um, like ridiculous amounts of kit, like Northless Prime, Cybex, all the all the big names that everyone loves to like travel across the country just to train because they've got this one squat press. Yeah. And like, I did that when I was in London. Like there was a January point where I think I trained at three different gyms. It didn't last very long, but the variety of kit there was like it was so it was so great. But I didn't do it enough to see any kind of long-term response yeah. and you it's you lose out on so much adaptation when you don't spend like weeks and weeks on those movements and yeah you can argue there's a potential of like overuse injuries coming into play and that definitely happens especially as you start loading up that is another quote-unquote risk but you want to grow that muscle you want to get stronger at that movement you got to keep doing it there's a reason why people who are in strength sports are very good at those three to two barbell movements is because they just do them all the damn time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's everything's focused around that. You know, I've got a friend that's a powerlifter and you know, everything he does like five warm up sets. Then he goes into the first working set another yeah. one. And then the, the rest in between is elongated. So it's three minutes and it's five minutes and then it keeps going. And he's in the gym for hours but you know he's yeah he's, I remember those days <laughs> yeah and it does you know I used to dabble with it when I first got into training you know sort of deadlifts bench press and squats it's very empowering you know what it's like you know you get that deadlift you get that lift and you're like yes you know you, you're so empowered you feel so good but then of course going into bodybuilding training it was more specific to the aesthetic rather than what I can lift and you know my activation my intention when I train which really I think people should probably focus on more rather than trying to pb every session because again progressive overloads thrown around and people maybe don't understand it maybe we could talk about that you know if you were progressively overloading by weight how would you keep up in the weight every week for you know x amount of time yeah, there's a point of initial returns on that. Um, yeah. A lot of the kind of the weekly progressions, I would say. I mean, again, it's really hard to say I know exactly because I only see what's on social media. I only see the people in my gym. I'm not that person. But a lot of the weekly progressions I see are mostly shortening range of motion, yeah. increasing tempos uh, or decreasing like time in eccentrics or pauses or whatever the hell the standardization of those reps initially are. That standardization just disappears week by week and it gets slowly, slowly worse. And then you kind of have the, oh, you know, I need to regress my technique back to this because I've got too far ahead. I was like, no, if you just had the standardization in the first place, you wouldn't have to do that. 
and you would just see slower progressions of weight on the bar, but you would actually still be able to do that for a longer period of time instead mm-hmm. of having to take another step back. And injury is exactly the same thing. The The best thing you can, you can do to progress in any sport, not even bodybuilding, is just not get injured. <laughs> like, because you have to take two steps back, you have to take the other two steps forward to get to where you were, and you've lost time as a result of that, and now you have to keep going forward, and you've got this, well, I know this. Will, I know I have this kind of um, discrepancy or this weak point, now I have to have that in the back of my mind while I keep starting to push forward. And like, you know, if, you, if you're prepping, then fuck, that's, that's another thing you have to worry about, you know? Yeah, because when you're prepping, you're under a lot of stress, pressure, etc. anyway. And of course, you know, depending on what category you're in, you're going to need to get pretty shredded to get stage lean. And then you are at a vulnerable position. I think sometimes when you're in a prep and you've got the tunnel vision and what have you, you think, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm good. I can do all of this. And of course, you're doing more cardio, more expenditure for girls practicing on our heels. You know, everything's against joint health against yeah. general health <laughs> yeah everything and this is something that you know i talked to a lot of people about this is not a healthy sport it is extreme you know if you're gonna push to those depths so then when it comes to your training you know particularly i'd say for myself in the last eight to ten weeks maybe of a prep you know my training changes to pretty much maintenance you know i'm going in yeah that's about right out. yeah and because you can't expect to keep progressing you know i go into every prep thinking right i'll lift what i can now for as long as possible but of course you know things change as as you get leaner and you're doing more expenditure you're eating less got to think of the bigger picture sometimes but i don't know if you've dealt with people that are in a prep that you do become that sort of i can do anything i can keep going yeah, it's um I, I can't say I have prepped anyone myself, but I can understand the feeling when I've gotten I've I've done those like very aggressive fat loss phases and like because you see the physical response of what those training sessions are like, especially when you look in the mirror and then you get like you pick up a dumbbell and you're like, God, these like five kilo lateral raises are just like the heaviest thing in the world. <laughs> like what the hell's going on? Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's kind of what you said about only you can't progress all the time through prep. Um and I know people who definitely force it and i've definitely seen that and you won't always see a negative impact from that some people they just they get, can get away with it because they're very naturally strong and that's fantastic um and it kind of goes back to what i was saying before about you you need to know what variables that you as an individual need to modulate to to get through to get the desired result and like there's a big obviously this um big uh what's the word debate between trains failure with using the reps and reserve and i know that's kind of been that kind of blends into one now and it's understanding like is is this training volume something that you can recover from? Is it something that you can progress? Um, and it's just being, um, what's the word? Very vocal with your coach, who I assume is a good coach, who can kind of go, right, okay, this isn't working. We need to change this and just keeping in contact. And uh, from what I'm aware, in prep, you tend to increase contact with your clients if they get close to their show date because you need that kind of that hands-on data. Yeah, for sure. I think that sometimes, you know, it's underestimated from the client's point of view how valuable that is as a coach for them to give you as much feedback as possible, you know, in particular if they are in a prep and if volume's too much or then feeling like they're really not recovering from it, you don't know unless they tell you, of course. And yeah, like you say, hopefully the coach is a good coach because as we know, you know, a bit like social media, there is a variance of people and there's a variance of coaches and what they can offer. But certainly as from my what I do as a coach, you know, I want to know as much as possible. Actually, to be fair, in all phases, you know, it's like if something's not working, yeah, yeah, that's you know. fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think there's something that would be quite interesting to touch on, actually, just sprung to my mind is when you see, for example, someone maybe with knee strap sleeves or elbow sleeves, or if we went with knee sleeves and they're then going into a leg press and fully loading it and doing partial range or you know this type of thing that you can see on social media in the gym whatever it may be do you have much experience with you know straps and assistance in that way yeah nothing to nothing extreme so not wraps i think that's the only thing i haven't used or anything like a suit um like i've used single ply and uh double ply knee sleeves both in squatting i use single ply knee sleeves at the moment um it's just nice i've had like kind of you could say the say knee issues in the past and it is um it's a little bit of extra security i think it just like you have phases where you rotate exercise in and out you should probably have phases where you don't use something like assistance 
Yeah. Um, but I don't really think there's anything bad with them. Um, uh, if you want to go down the research route, I don't think there's any research that would say that using them is going to be detrimental in any way. I think the issue is more to what you touched upon is like how much you're loading and how much range of motion you're doing and what control you're doing that with. Um, that's always going to be the determining factor. And it's it's this kind of this massive gray area that you can't you can't uh, give absolutes to. But I would mostly just say you just need to control weight um, and take the ego out of it. Um, and bodybuilders are, I would say bodybuilders are pretty good at doing that from a competitive standpoint. But it's the like you're in a session with like two of your friends and you know you're training for three hours straight. You're all doing the same exercise. You're all screaming at each other. Like that kind of like adrenaline and getting amped up is like it's I know what it's like and you feel so good and you like your PBing every session. You've got a spotter there to help you through all the really hard reps. And then it's like you're sat on the train on the way home, and you're like, God, my lower back is like starting to flare up. What the fuck? And it's it, that that's the thing you have to be uh, aware of more than just kind of than saying, Oh, maybe I should just wear a belt. Like it's 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 about what you're doing in the session. Yeah, yeah. Belts are another sort of, along with the straps and, and the accessories, what you can... I think they're fine. I think yeah. they're fine. I don't, I don't think there's an issue. I think wraps are when you kind of go a little bit... I knew a bodybuilder who trained in my old gym. He used to wear, like, knee wraps for, like, doing 140 kilo squats for, like, 10 reps. And I'm like, fuck, man, not even, not even I did that when I powerlifted. So, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, if your knees are that fucked, like, gee, like, sort sort it out. Like, go see someone for that. Like, change, change whatever you're doing. Like, sort something out. <laughs> yeah yeah that's my sort of undercurrent into the example I gave you know you do and you actually touched on it there you know ego lifting per se it is and I've been there I talk from experience you know this isn't by no means me saying that's wrong but we do get you know sometimes the gym becomes your thing you know it's the only thing you're doing for yourself and then find this new like love for training and then it's like oh I want to keep PB in okay my knee hurts a bit what I'll do is I'll put, you know, some straps on it or, you know, wraps or whatever. And then what I'll do is I'll continue to lift. But like you say there, there's the undercurrent of maybe you should look at treatment or getting that sorted as to why that is hurting when you're training rather than it being you're training. So it's a muscle type hurt. It's like my knees are really hurting, but I'm going to keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. (laughs) It's so easily done, though, isn't it? Because you just get so into it. Yeah, that's the. It's you almost have to kind of talk yourself out of it, and that is where I think having a some like a coach is is a lot better because you've got someone there who's completely impartial, who is hopefully working in your best interest, and go, no, yeah. stop it now, we're swapping <laughs> this out, or or let's trial this before that. Let's see what it doesn't. It doesn't mean we need to sack off the movement completely or completely change everything. It's more like, okay, what are we actually doing before this? What does the rest of the week look like? And it's all the consistent variables we look at when we're coaching clients. Yeah, and I think it's super important as well to respond to have a consult or you, you know, get the yeah. data. What exercises do you like? What has worked for you in the past? I think that sometimes people might think, well, why do you need to know what training I'm doing now and what I have been doing? It's not it's purely so that we as coaches have a background into, you know, what's worked for them, what they actually like, rather than us going, Well, you know, I think this is gonna be good for you. Just get on with it. You wanna yeah. Even if there's going to be certain things that you want to program that maybe they haven't loved before, but they're not adverse to doing them, if you can have a balance of of exercise they like and then ones that you feel are going to be beneficial, then of course they're going to be more inclined to do it. Yeah, exactly. And it's also it's a good opportunity to look at what those emotional attachments are. Even when it comes to like rehab, I had a client um signed up a week ago and it was he's had like kind of on and off hip pain like issues with on the right side and it's nothing that i can't screen online and i can't go cool this is maybe the issue we'll try this and he was like yeah i used to do this like one cable exercise for like a a year and that really helped and then i gave him the program and i didn't put that in he's like how come you give me that he did it a year and you say it helped but you're in the exact same position like do you do you really think that helped and even if it even if it did, like what is what's against doing these other things alongside that? See if that's going to improve. Do this first, and then we can put that in. Yeah, and it is cool. about kind of being a little bit like, no, you need to think a little bit logically, which is quite hard to do when you program yourself. You tend to program more emotionally. You tend to program the movement patterns that you love, that you really connect with, and then you shy away from all the shit that you don't like doing because you're shit at it. And yeah, it's like yeah. you need to do more of the shit that you're shit at. 
Yeah, it's like the split squats example you gave earlier, you know. Yeah. I don't know many people that like them, as it were. I mean, I quite like them, but, you know. I think they're all right. They're, they're fucking horrible, but they're good. <laughs> yeah, but you, you feel it, you know, I like to feel it. And it's not, you know, it's not something you have to load up massively and compromise posture. You know, you can really focus on feeling the movement and then yeah. you feel it after for however many days. And there is that sort of, I guess there's that instant well, I suppose when you're training quads anyway, you know, like leg extension is my favorite exercise because you get yeah. that like, oh my God, I can really feel I'm working. And you know, that, that's exactly it though, because you've, you've got, so the, 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 um, the debate would be, you know, I can't load a split squat as much. Well, I do. Well, you've got other output exercises that you can do. You've got a leg press leg extension. If you want output, like you, ha- you only have, to, you only need two exercises in that case. Especially if we're talking about quads in this example. It's yeah. like, but a split, a split squat. We can look at like how much internal rotation, how much external rotation, the hips going through as you load through the front foot. And there are multiple variations. And if that improves your ability, your generic hip mobility, whatever the hell your issue is, and it makes those like leg presses or other multi joint movements better, why wouldn't you do that? Just because it's not as high as output, and you might not be getting as much hypertrophy stimulus, whatever you want to call it, from it, then but you can still get output from other exercises. Why wouldn't you do that? And it's this kind of like, oh, I'm not very good at it. Well, get better at it. That's yeah. what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. And what you, I guess, touched on there as well is associating load with progression. You don't have to load something up. Every exercise doesn't need to be loaded heavily for you to progress and i think there is that association isn't there well yeah 100 yeah much, you know i can't lift anything with that yes but like you say the other exercises that are working that muscle group well let's load them up with that different exercise selection across your program across your mesocycle yeah no one no one wants to feel like a beginner i think that's the that's the, especially when you've been training for three four years or ten years like no one wants to be given an exercise that you could look at and say oh this is quite easy and then do shift. That's it. Even like when it comes to like some of the primers or like the the quote, quote, activation, whatever you want to call them. When I'm like, cool, we're going to target this specific position. We're going to load that, and it's just going to be body weight with a bit of breathing. And they're like, oh, that's fucking lighting that up. And I'm like, well, cool. It's been underexposed for God knows how many years. While you've been doing like five different kinds of presses. Yeah. Now we need to focus on this because those five presses aren't going to go anywhere in the next five years' time if you don't work on this. Yep. Or we're going to see. I don't know, shoulder issues or whatever the hell is. You can't predict that, but you can make an assumption that, cool, this if this is a limiting factor now, it's not going to go away by you just doing other things. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, very relevant. As well. Sometimes people come to me, they've got a program, and it's a chest day, a back day. Yeah. And you know, there could be six to eight exercises on one muscle group. And it's our job as coaches to give that tuition to say, well, actually, you know, what's going to be more effective for you is less exercises concentrating on technique load for those exercises you know i think sometimes it can really surprise people how little you can program and still get maximal results i don't want to say yeah. it, it it's not thinking i guess you know what's the minimum you can get from the maximum benefit but in the sense it is because yeah you don't need to go in the gym for three to four hours no, definitely not. And like it's got what you said there with what you're getting out of what you're putting in, like it does exist on a continuum and it, it, it there are obviously a lot of other variables in place. But no, you don't you don't need to do like ridiculous amounts of volume. Obviously, there are people who can again get away with that. I've seen some bodybuilders pull days and there's like five rows on my man. I kind of get your justification. I get your justification, but like after a while, this is more or less the same thing. And I just look and obviously again you can't it's it's hard to argue because you see the physique and you go well at the end of the day that's the thing you're you're if you win the show i'm like can argue with it but it's when you get people who argue over nuance and i'm like well if you haven't won any shows then like i i don't really care if you're arguing about stuff you're doing in the gym that you don't get judged on you get judged on how you look you don't get judged on how you train you don't get judged on your leg extension you don't get judged on I don't know, fucking stability or like how much you can do cable crunch with, you get judged on the end result. So like, I don't think you need to have as much emotional weight for the things you're doing in the gym if you're looking for, it, uh, for a different result on stage. Yeah, and this is where the tuition comes in. It's our job as coaches, if we're looking at bodybuilding, competing, you know, whatever route under that umbrella of bodybuilding, form the clients and help give that tuition to say, you know, this is an aesthetic based sport. So your exercise selection is going to be based on 
you looking your best. We're not talking about, like you say, what you lift in the gym. The judges don't give a shit. You know, they don't give a shit if you spend five hours in the gym. What they want to see is the best physique on stage. And that's a very, very relevant message that I think people often forget when they're focused, so fo- hyper-focused on PBing all the time or doing like something really fancy in the gym a basic program with some good lifts some different exercise selection across you know your training plan can be effective for most people yeah 100 percent. and you touched on earlier about you know like primers or activations what you know i call them a bit of both sometimes depending on who i'm talking to but with regards to sort of warm-up sets which is essentially what it is do you have different guidelines depending on different clients or do you have sort of at something you follow in regards to warming up in in relation to injury prevention as well. Yeah, like I mean, if it comes to like kind of the smaller stuff that you do before your session, like you want to get to a point where you don't have to do it because no one wants to like do I don't know external rotations before the session, whatever the hell uh, yeah. you feel uh, is needed. Um, Warm ups is you should have an idea of what a rough working weight is going to be. You can spend a little bit of time working up towards that. There's, there's no kind of set skill. It's the same way. If you were, if you want to go back to that deadlift, you've got 140 kilos, do the empty bar for a few RDLs, do 60, do hundred. You just make those logistical weight jumps, but you want to be taking feedback on those weight jumps of, okay, is this actually feeling good? And like, you know, you have those days where you get to like, say 85% of your working weight and you're like this is just not moving today and it's just like it feels like shit and that could be for multiple reasons you could be due a deload you could have just had like a bit of an off day with sleep and it could just be a complete fluke um it's the same way that like random injuries and random pain just does appear and there is genuinely no explanation and then you also have days where it's like wow this is like like my warm-up is flying like i'm five kilos below my previous working weight and the two reps i did of that absolutely flew cool i can probably put it up a little bit today how much you do is depending on how you're feeling um you can go for like you probably don't want to overshoot it so it's probably uh good to err in the way of caution and then you just have to take it as it as it goes trial and error yeah for sure and where you mentioned their delos this is something again you know it's almost i suppose a bit like biomechanics you know it's increased in people hearing about what a deload is you know some people yeah They've never even heard of a deload and they're like, well, what the hell is that? And actually, you know, when you start to look at when a deload would be appropriate as a coach, you know, whether you progress over a mezzo and then you program in a deload ahead of time or you touch base and say, do we push for another week? Then we deload or or however it is. It's well, 100 percent feedback from me is from my clients is fucking hell. I needed that deload and they come back stronger. Yeah, I think it's, again, some people can just push programs for a very long period of time and not have an issue. Like I've, I haven't, I personally haven't needed to deload for a while, but then I have like my current schedule and life situations probably forces those deloads. So it's not something I would go, cool, this exact week, I am going to be working at whatever capacity, like 8%, you know, deload. It's more like, okay, I'm busy as fuck for four days. Those sessions are not going to be good sessions. And then I'm just going to go straight back into the program there. Um, like the, bo- uh, the body is not this kind of robotic thing. Um, with bodybuilders, uh, because again, you work on a bit more of a schedule and a timeline, especially an online coach, you've got a very good handle of your own diary compared to someone who works nine to five and has like other commitments. It is easier to do that. And if you can get more out of that, then that's, that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's different ways you can do it. You can do like the week, you can do 10 days. I've seen people just take four days off. There's no... I, I really don't think there's like a set standard of, of what you can do. And I know coaches have their preferences and it's mostly just what feels ideal. I, I personally just take a couple of days off. I'll have like three or four days where I'll just fuck around in the gym for a little bit. I'll yeah. go in, get a pump. I'll do, I'll probably still train hard on like kind of the smaller muscle groups that don't really get taxed. Um, as long as I haven't got any kind of, yeah, exactly. Uh, as long as they don't have any kind of like, um, like connective tissue issues around that area that have been built up from the pre- previous phase. And then I'm like, cool, everything feels good new program done yeah i like to give options as well similar to what you're saying there you know i'll say okay so deload we're going to plan for you know whatever week it's going to be so either we could plan that away with going away on holiday or something like that that's something yeah that's a great one that's a fantastic one i think yeah ideal because 
as a bodybuilder myself, you know, if I'm on holiday and Matt and I would go on loads of walks and adventures and stuff like that. So I'm not thinking, oh, I really miss the gym. So that's, you know, a really good option. And of course you can come away from the gym environment and not feel bad. You can sort of yeah. do something nice or say similar to what you said, do you want to go in and maybe instead of five weight sessions, you could do two or three pump sessions and go for enjoyment, you know, use the smaller muscle groups, 60 to 70% of load, maybe a couple of sets per exercise or someone is at that point where they're like, I'm pretty fucked. You know, it might be that we can take a week off. And if there's still things like cardio programmed in for them, you know, if they're in a diet phase, they can go and do the cardio, maybe lay off the week, the weights for a week and come back a bit stronger, but it is very person dependent, but I definitely feel that there is a place for most people to deload at some point. Yeah. I think the end of time, you, I, I personally don't think you need to do those. If you're, you're like classic gen pop client, because your lifestyle will do that for you. Like if you're training two times a week with a PT, uh, you really don't need to do that. Like, I mean, you can train people fucking hard over two sessions. Like I've yeah, definitely yeah. done that, but I've never got a stage where I'm like, yeah, we're going to go easy this week unless they've had like a horrible week. And it's been like, you know, they haven't slept um, like, you know, lifestyle factors, kids, whatever. Like, cool. You're obviously not going to be hitting, maximum capacity training today we're going to pull it back it doesn't mean it's a deload it's just we're we're doing the same thing that everyone else does that we're also regulating our training volume and intensity based on how we're feeling um but yeah those are the main situations where i'd say you probably do not need to deload yeah and of course it depends like you said there you know what phase they're in you know if someone is yeah you know potentially in a fairly long diet you know things like a deload can help manage that diet fatigue you know there's potential to add I've done like a, a refeed week on a deload week with clients and they've come off the back of that, you know, hunger's come down, they're feeling better, sleep is a little bit better. You know, there's strategic things that we can do as coaches to try and help people that are, you know, committing to a long diet phase, whether that's gen pop or, you know, competitors, but it is our job to, you know, look for these signs. And that's, of course, I'm sure you do a similar thing, ask about sleep, stress levels, all of those things how does your training feel for a start yeah you're just you're just kind of getting them to spin plates and then you're trying to figure out which of which of the plates are important that's all you're doing yeah yeah and um, when it comes to sleep you know I, I would say that's a fairly big factor in to the subject today of injury prevention you know it's something I've touched on on the pod before but is there any advice anything we could delve into today that would be you know general advice for competitors or gem pop people that are considering sleep as something that they want to work on yeah sleep's an interesting one i mean I, most of the advice i would say is very much the same which is you know don't look at your screen before bed yeah. and like i've i've i don't know if you've done this i've had phases where i've been like absolutely fucking on it with like all the things i can do and I definitely saw like a decent improvement, but I was the most boring person in existence. <laughs> like it, it was just like, don't look at your phone before bed. You, you're not watching TV before bed. You know, you're not eating one and a half to two hours before bed, which is fucking hard when you're busy. Isn't like, it? It's, that, it is impossible. But um, <laughs> and it's like you know, don't drink fluids an hour before bed. I'm just like, oh great, okay. Basically, I can't do anything I'm an thirsty. hour before I go to sleep. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Um, the the external stuff I think actually is really useful so things like earplugs, blackout blinds I think they do make a big difference like a hot shower before bed, like a cool room I would probably focus on that more because that's something that's very easily controllable yeah. and that doesn't really get fucked up by like um, like curveballs in your lifestyle so yeah. I would focus on that more and then like if you can kind of try not to look at your phone in bed I'd say 99% of people still do like it, it's it's just it's just going to happen um and I know like there are like Andrew Huberman's become really popular lately with like his videos on like sleep and neuroscience and it's like it's great because you can go cool in a lab this is what happens when you're on your phone da, da, da. I'm like cool in real life people are going to be on the phones don't care yeah yes it's, yeah. it's going to happen like I'm not going to I'm not going to tell my uh, like you know 45 year old client who works all hours oh by the way don't do your job for the last hour of the day even if a really important client is um is messaging you because you know we need that sleep score to be pretty high you know so we can do a push-up the next day it doesn't it doesn't work like that yeah and of course it's working it within your lifestyle which is the undercurrent there it's sometimes it might be that if you can facilitate not going on your phone an hour before bed. And sometimes I can do that, but generally as an online coach and actually it doesn't happen. 
yeah you know even family and stuff like that it's very hard to avoid looking at your phone all the time but what I've certainly found recently is that if I can do my last check on my phone and then read for like 20 minutes in bed that really helps to sort of set the tone for me and I've had my bath and whatever done a bit of yoga check my phone and then read in bed that works for me and I think before like I've done exactly like you've just described that all of those things you know blue light blockers everything possible and actually my sleep was probably worse because I was so stressed if I was doing it right yeah exactly yeah yeah and if you have like a social occasion come up I remember when I first started doing my sleep routine the first social occasion I was like shit what am I going to do like I can't wear my blue light blockers I can't like not drink fluid I'm having a diet coke at half nine what am I going to (laughs) do in regards to sleep would you if someone was I guess a client they had a really bad night's sleep and they were feeling pretty ropey what would you say in regards to training do you have sort of a gauge where you can go okay well do you feel x y and z or yeah it's um so when I used to have this a lot with my one-to-one sessions when I was in London it was mostly just like how are we actually feeling how are the warm-ups feeling like energy wise like what was the what actually was the circumstance was it literally I didn't sleep at all or I had like yeah, I got woken up a couple of times because my kids or whatever. And then if if we're not in a good position, like we're really not feeling it. Um, and again, this is probably a bit more in line with gem pop than uh, bodybuilding. I'd be like, cool. I want you to leave better than feeling better than when you came in. So I want to like get some endorphins going, get some blood flow going, just get these joints moving, get you out your desk, give you an hour of like, okay, I'm not feeling too shit. And then like you can do those, those more fun movements or whatever the hell it is and not absolutely kill them. If you're a competitive athlete, then it's it's just one of those things where it's like you can you can fight for those progressions in that day. I personally wouldn't recommend it. Um, the times when you see people get injured more in like kind of a higher level of competitiveism is when people are distracted and like their their head's not really in it, like they're handling heavy loads. And it's like, well, if you're handling heavy loads, you need to be down focused or you need to be in a good position. Um, and if you're not, like the weight will tell you that. So it's one of those days where it's like, cool, You, if you can match what you did last week and you don't have to grind for it, great. Yeah. If you have to grind for it, then nope, pull that weight down and take that session as a loss. It's fine. It happens. It's that. It's like, you know, like 0.01% of your training cycle, whatever the hell it is. And then you just go home, chill and try not to repeat. Yeah, because of course there is, you know, generally most even when you're in a prep, there's going to be rest days across the week. So it's maybe do you that day, if you're feeling really shit, you go to gym and it's just not happening. Can you then, you know, take that session over as it were, speak to your coach as well and say, what's the best thing to do here? And similar in regards to with the warmups, with cool downs, is there anything in particular that you recommend? Because I remember right back when I qualified as a PT, it was like, you need to stretch every major muscle group for 60 <laughs> seconds and now no one stretches. What would you say is sort of guidance in regards to that? I think cool downs are more, they're more related to like people who have like heart issues. You basically don't want the heart rate to drop too high. Also, like I mean, it's you're probably increasing blood pressure a lot if you're working at high intensity. Your heart rate probably isn't shooting up that much for a long period of time. It's probably going to gradually come back come back down quite frequently um it's quite cool to actually wear a heart rate monitor while you do like a heavy leg session because you're going to see that kind of spike and dip and spike and dip but it is probably going to average out um i have had sessions where i've had some cool downs with clients because they're just they've just been fucked but this is uh clients who have been at a level they're just very unfit and they haven't been exposed to like higher heart rates um, I don't think it's that much of an issue. If you want to walk on a treadmill for five minutes, fine. Well, I don't think it's going to be an issue. The, the whole point is we just want the uh, we want the blood to start. Uh, we want the heart rate to drop steadily and not just go from one hundred and sixty down to eighty. Yeah, yeah. Because of course, you know, again, I've been there. You probably have right back at the start. You know, I prioritize. Okay, so I've got five minutes left. What I do, yeah. I do one more heavy set because I'm a dick and I'm lifting with ego and then I'll just rush out the gym and then like you sort of get in the car, get to your destination. You're like, if it's, <laughs> like, you know, it can even be something like a bloody deadlift. And then I get to the thing and think I can't move my lower back. <laughs> but it's that priority of can I get one more working set in rather than why don't I just be a bit more safe and effective? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
is so easily done, isn't it? Because of course, you know, you know, the undercurrent is you care about your training, you want to do well, but sometimes it's maybe taking a slightly outsider's point of view and going, well, actually, what's going to be effective for me? And I think that's probably what we've, in summary, you know, spoken about today. Ideally, working with a coach that can give the expertise to program in and be that outsource of, you know, doing the best for you and programming to help you achieve your goals. But also, you know, not being a dick, trying to enjoy training, <laughs> get results and, you know, stick to it rather than flitting around and doing everything that everyone else is doing. This is a journey that should be based on you as an individual, you know? Yeah, I think, um, especially with bodybuilding, it's like, you have to look the part like it's your entire life and like it's yeah, everything matters around it. You have to like, you know, walk the walk as they say, and you can, but there are many, many bodybuilders that you see who are a very high competitive standard who do not take training as seriously as like some of the elite ones. Like if you look at like Ultraflex Rodrum's page, like the, the list of the things you see on there, I'm like, cool, like you clearly train hard. This is clearly your life. Absolutely fine. But <laughs> you don't need to do that yeah. to be good. You can maybe argue there's some discrepancy when we're talking at talking people who are like always hitting first place. That's not something I'm uh, that experienced in, but you don't, it doesn't need to be your entire life. Yeah. And again, you know, you don't know the genetic individual, you don't know yeah. they're assisted, you know, something that I think can be underestimated sometimes, especially I have a lot of first timers listen to the podcast and maybe they're slightly naive to, you know, the assisted realm if they're, they're natural and, what that would look like, what that would do with training performance and what that would do to the aesthetic physique. There's so much there, but it is, you know, you've got to focus on your own journey and we're, we're only given what we've got, you know, you can only do yeah. it. Now. And like you say, it's very relevant to, if someone's doing this as a job and they're a professional athlete, it's very different to, you know, someone doing it as a hobby and, yeah. you know, jumping in to compete and seeing how they get on and then hopefully pursuing that if they find a love for it but if you're not doing it as a job it's a very different setup isn't it yeah there's, there's a hell of a lot less pressure if it's not a job like and if you can if you if your life does revolve without your income sponsors then like you can you can understand why there is so much emotional weight behind the way these guys train like what they do on uh, in their downtime off season in season everything like that yeah i mean it would be nice to be able to do it as a job of course josh you know yeah of course <laughs> I, i'm i'm always like you know that's a pretty sick job but again we don't know what goes into it but yeah i think this would be a very good episode for people to just get a bit more understanding into training particularly as an individual and if anyone did have any questions or resonated with anything we've gone through today josh is it best to find you on instagram if they wanted to give you a follow yeah, Instagram's the best place, yeah. Yeah, and it's coach with a K. Yeah, yeah, coach car, with also also with a K. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, mate. And perhaps, you know, in the future, we could get you on for another episode. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm always up for ranting about. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. I will speak to you soon. See you. Bye.